Make the magic happen. Okay. So I have a Get bunch your of questions. Hand off I don't know. Of you my guys... knee. No. Sorry, I go ahead. It. <laughs> it's, it's a force of habit. I'm sorry. Giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. We are coming at you, not live, but recorded and delayed, from RailsConf 2013. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Greg Pollock and Nate Bibler. How's it going, guys? Good. Good. How are you? Great. So, uh, Greg, this is actually your hometown. Yeah, I grew up in Beaverton. Uh, went to Beaverton High School, home of the Beaverton Beavers. <laughs> that was a little twist at the Bet end there. I didn't see that, that coming. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, but yeah, yeah, I grew up here all my life. Uh, yeah, pretty much. That and now you're back. Did you have, do you have family here now? Um, well, actually, my parents moved away um, back to where they grew up, Miami Beach, Florida. And I happen to have a cousin that moved into the area. So I do have family here, huh. but only because they moved here after uh, everyone left. Mm. So we we were realizing uh, before we started that there's a bit of a special connection between you and this podcast, which is you are the original author of the giant robots, smashing into other giant robots sound clip oh, yes. that accompanies every episode. Back in the uh, Rails Envy days. Yeah, the Rails Envy podcast. We tried to add lots of sound effects to things when it could be entertaining. And that was the giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Mm-hmm. That was fun. And it's lived on. Yeah, it's incredible. That was nice of you to uh, allow us to use that sound I can, clip. I, I can die happy now. You could have extorted us for massive royalties instead. <laughs> Hey, Maybe you still do we have that in writing, idea. actually? <laughs> that's the name of our blog. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah right. that's true. Maybe we can sue you retroactively or something. Yeah. That'd be good. Uh, so you run Envy Labs. Yeah. Well, I'm not alone. Um, but yeah. Uh, Founder yeah. of Envy Labs, right? Yeah. Envy Labs is uh, in Orlando, Florida. We're now up to next week. It'll be 35 people, which mm-hmm. has been kind of ridiculous, but um, really great group of hardworking developers, designers, managers, uh, the whole gambit. Um, so yeah. And, and Envy Labs these days, a little over half of us work on code school and the other half of us still work on uh, client work as a consultancy. Yeah. That was my, one of my questions is, is what the breakdown is. Yeah. Um, well, like a year ago, the majority of people would still worked on consulting work. And then this year, the majority of people work on code school. And there's some people that are, you know, 100% on code school. There's some people that are 100% on client work and some people in between, which makes for, you know, a really good mix and sort of healthy struggle on a weekly basis when we figure out, you know, where our resources are. But I think it's, it's really good because, you know, client work comes and goes and sometimes you need something to fill the, uh, the gap. And so people help work on code school. Mm. And it works out pretty good, I think. Is there an explicit goal to move more people onto code school? Like everybody one day? Or? Not necessarily. And um, that's sort of what's interesting. That I, I, f- I figured out something a few months ago, which is that everyone's not like me. And uh, there's some people on our team that want to work on different projects and have different challenges. And even though it's our own product, they don't want to be stuck working on it mm-hmm. for you know, a year so that's been great to, to sort of realize that. So we want to definitely keep the consulting strong mm-hmm. and as well as code school and the education side of things. And, you know, doing education and education product also kind of has a side effect of uh, bringing developers that want to hire us to help them with their projects. So right. there's always going to be good leads that come into that business as a side effect. And we want to be able to, um, you know, take that business when we can. Hmm. So, Nate, do you, uh, which do you prefer working on? Are you a client consulting guy or are you like the product better? 
Uh, I'm actually on the, the consulting side mostly, although I say that with a caveat that I think I wrote CodeSchool.com, the first version of it. I wrote the billing system that is still running. Mm-hmm. So, uh, What are you guys using for billing? Uh, <laughs> so so we, wrote, we wrote our own billing system um, early on, actually, uh, before things like Chargeify and all the other uh, ones that had kind of shown up a few years ago. There was like a big gold rush, I guess, for, for that space. Um, you know, the original concept was we were a consultancy that wanted to build products, and we wanted a centralized way to charge for those products that we didn't have to write the same code over and over again so mm-hmm. we could say, you know, this product charges, it uses, you know, right. it has these subscriptions, whatever, go. Um, so we built a multi-tenant billing system yeah. and then used it for a single tenant forever. Yes. Uh. Yeah, that's kind of how it works. Although, although it's one tenant is, is a good one. Yeah, if you're, if you're it's have pretty tenant. good. But then we realized, like, we shouldn't, there's a lot of, we would have designed this differently if it yeah, was always yeah. going to have just That's one. such an easy trap to fall into. Although I will yeah. say it's, it has been useful. Um, so, you know, right now we take credit card payments and, and run it through a standard credit card processor. Uh, right now it's authorizing it. Um, we also do PayPal. And it's really useful, actually, to route all of the payment traffic through a central source. So we kind of have a history of all transaction activity in one place. So especially when it comes to customer service, you can say, you know, how many times did we attempt to charge you? What were the results? Uh, Was it PayPal or this? If we need to do a refund, you know, can we do it here or there? You know, it's, it, it makes it a little bit easier to do support and a little bit easier to see what's going on, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it's also, it serves as kind of a double check against reports we get from those services as well. Yeah, so that's good. It's, it's surprising to me how, how, hard, how hard you have to fight the impulse to be like, oh, we're definitely, we definitely need to generalize this. I'm sure we're going to need to do this again and again. And <laughs> even like a micro level of like code, like we're definitely going to need to take different kinds of this in here and accept a different kind of whatever. And like it's let's what if we could just wait a little bit longer? Well, I mean, it was also interesting because way back when that started, we were a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, at the time when you're five and ten people, the idea of putting, you know, five or six or ten small products out the door sounds like a good one, right? You're <laughs> like, you know, if I can make ten grand on this thing, that's something, right? When you're at thirty people, that's not really the same goal anymore, I guess, because it's it's just not worth the time, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and actually getting back to your earlier question to Greg as, as far as um, people on the consulting side versus uh, code school, we actually find a lot of value in having uh, people working on the consulting side providing that knowledge back to code mm, school. Totally. Uh, that, that's why, you know, people in higher education, that's why they slow down sometimes is they're not practitioners of what they're teaching. Mm. And so totally to, to Nate's point. I mean, it's great to be able to teach what we're using on real projects. I think it sort of yeah, keeps us up to date and I think more qualified to teach the subject. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so, Greg, I, I saw in uh, one of the Code School episodes, uh, you talk about one of your interests is learning to run a business the hard way. Yeah, I'm curious man. what you meant by that. Oh, I wish I would have kept notes, better notes over the last three years, but... Definitely have learned a ton about um, about business um, just because my you know I, I get a lot of happiness from providing for people you know whether that means it could mean you know paying them well creating a really good work atmosphere and sort of the goal when we sort of you know when I did the we sort of created Envy Labs after Rails Envy the goal for me was really twofold number one create an awesome environment for developers to work in and number two figure out the most honest and transparent way to run a consultancy and um so 
Yeah, so it's it's definitely been. What was the question? Also, well, I got off track. You're uh, learn the hard way, right? right? Learn the, yeah, right, 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 right. Um, but yeah, it's been interesting because you know we've been trying to keep things transparent, trying to keep everyone involved. But once you get to a certain point and you start growing, there's uh, definitely things you learn about what not to share, what's how to keep morale high. Um, what to, that was the most interesting, the most interesting part definitely for me has been, yeah, what, when not to be transparent. That's been really interesting and sort of two different things come to mind. Um, the first is when you have, um, negative experiences, things that might affect the team in a negative way if they were public. Some of the obvious things would be like personnel right issues some of the less obvious things might be when client work goes badly hmm. right so um, we've had one or two situations where you know inevitably any consulting group has had situations where even if they weren't in the wrong i don't think we've ever been in the wrong but sure enough the client gets frustrated mm-hmm. maybe because they are low on money and they need someone to blame and they'll come after the developers and how much of that you share with the team because if you did, if you shared everything, it would hurt morale. And so there's been times where I've sort of had to really, it's been tough on me, sort of take the brunt of all of that mm-hmm. um, and sort of, uh, you know, swallow my pride and try to deal with the client and not let that pass through to the team because it mm-hmm. could only lead to um, negative things. The other really interesting part, I think, that we've sort of had to deal with, the psychology of work definitely fascinates me, is... Um, compensation and how to deal with compensation because we've gone through several iterations of how to compensate people and they all have different rationales and it's evolved in ways that I hadn't have thought about. And mm. I, this is a longer conversation and I don't want to talk for the next five minutes unless you're really interested in hearing more about I'm this. Curious, if you've got something inter- interesting to say on it, okay. are, you, are you doing something a little crazy? So we start, well, when are we not doing something a little crazy? <laughs> but uh, the way that we started out, um, you know, is when we we were, you know, we started with, you know, four guys. Nate here was one of our, you know, was one of the four that we started out with. And um, we had set hourly rates and we were contractors. Why would we ever not be contractors? We all have our little, you know, our little bank accounts with the company names on them so we can write everything off when we make business expenses and whatnot. And then, of course, the year changed and we became employees. But we did something different. We kept the same hourly rates. Like, this is cool. Everyone gets to pay for all of the time that they spend. And everyone gets paid these sort of higher inflated you know, hourly rates, same contract hourly rates. So everyone got paid really well. And we liked that. And I like that for a couple of different ways because, you know, uh, when we build our clients, it would be hourly. So people had to log hours anyway, and they get paid for all their hours. Um, and I also like the idea that I didn't have to manage my friends. If everybody stays hourly and they're just billing for the time that they spend on, you know, client work, and also we paid for project management time too, um, I wouldn't have to manage them. If someone spends 20 hours a week or 40 hours a week, um, I don't have to care as long as the client expectation is getting fulfilled. I mm. don't have to manage my friends. And people are naturally more productive some weeks than other weeks. It's simply natural to ebb and flow depending on what you're working on. Um, but then we had to figure out how to do raises, right? Mm. And what, what we figured out at the time, what seemed fair, fair to me and sort of took money off the table, because that's what you want to do with creative people, right? Is take money off the table. Make is it a non-issue. To, yeah, make it a non-issue. Make it even and fair across the board. So for a while there, we were doing a $2.50 per hour raise every six months consistently. Hmm. So you would know, 
you know, when you were going to get your next raise. And you could calculate. If this goes well, you know, I'm getting this much, and, you know, and five years from now I'm going to get paid this much. What we realized recently is that that wasn't sustainable. Well, <laughs> right? it, it was sustainable with five and ten people. Well, yeah. Well, no, Times it, 30, it becomes well, a lot more. Well, if we continued growing and having the same amount of success that we have been having, then, then we could keep it up. But it was a big risk, especially when you have this many people. I think we figured out what it was like every six months we, were have to, we would have to make another like $20,000 like $18,000 forever yeah. forever so <laughs> yeah so like you know the month of January you had to make 18000 more than you made in December and then the month of February you had to make eighteen above that and then the yeah. month like mm. it's really interesting yeah. so we're like okay well how do we explain this? how do we take this away right how do we take this how do we figure out how to get everybody on the same boat and how do we still incentivize people and explain that it's a big risk um, so we did, and what we ended up instead doing is putting in more of a profit-sharing model. So basically we were saying, you know, we're, we're taking away this predictable raise, but if we continue along the same trajectory and we all do well together, then you'll still get paid the same amount, except it'll be coming out of the profit-sharing. Hmm. Um, but what's most interesting, um, to come back around to, um, like, from the psychology perspective, is that you have to make it about incentivizing everyone as a group and not incentivizing the individual. Mm -hmm. We wanted to figure out, it's like, okay, we didn't want to make it so that, um, you don't want to have something, some, something up on the wall that says, as an individual, if you do A, B, and C, you will get a good raise. That incentivizes individual behavior mm -hmm. and incentivizes monetary compensation, which as we know in the creative world doesn't work. It actually might have the opposite effect. It might actually de-incentivize people. Mm -hmm. So... Although you, it's funny because you want to show people what they can do to help make themselves better and do better as an employee. Yet, if you are too explicit about that and you put it up on the wall, it'll have a negative effect because it'll create this feeling of this is what I have to do to make more money and what I have to do to succeed. When in fact, what you want to figure out how to do is incentivize people as a group, which makes profit sharing make more sense. Mm -hmm. So you can sort of tell people and show people, look, you know, let's all figure out how we can all do better. And if we all do better, we'll all get compensated. Mm. And so is that the plan today? That's yeah. how things work now? That's, what, that's how things work now. Yeah, we've, that's what we figured out how how's, to do. How's the response been? It's been great. It's been really good, really positive. People totally understand. And we are totally upfront and honest and transparent about the whole process and reasoning and everything, certainly. Cool. So how's Code School going? It's going amazing by all standards. I mean, it's not going... GitHub amazing, but it's going pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we bootstrapped the business, so we're not in debt to anybody. We don't have investors breathing down our necks. Um, and we're growing pretty steady. Over the last, like, two years, we've been growing, like, at 10% a month, which has been good. And, wow. of course, that varies. And uh, we recently crossed 11,000 paying subscribers. Wow. Um, so all that money, though, we're... We're, we want to grow the business, so we're not. We, we can say we're profitable, but it's not by much because we're putting all the money that we're making back into the product right now to build out more stuff. Mm. We've got sort of three tracks. We've got three courses that we work on at any given time. You've got the um, web dev track, which produces courses like you know the Rails four course that we put out recently, and also our JavaScript courses and some CSS courses, um, backbone stuff as well. And then you have the um, iOS track. So we're starting to build out iOS courses. Mm -hmm. um, we've got 
um, two of them so far, and then we've got uh, uh, Tri Objective C is getting released in the next week or two, mm-hmm. maybe by the time you hear this, and mm-hmm. then we've got sort of a free course track. You know, we always have these free and sponsored courses. We've been working with some f- great companies over the last few months. We produced, um, we worked with Google to produce our Chrome DevTools course to teach developers dev tools. There's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah. Um, for even developers that are familiar with dev tools, there's a lot of performance, uh, advanced memory optimization stuff in there that's good to know. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as worked with O'Reilly to do a try our course if you want to get into data manipulation. That's a great course as well. And then also about two months ago, we put out a try jQuery course. So worked with the jQuery core team to put out try.jQuery.com. So it would be a good place to start learning jQuery. Hmm. So when you say you're plowing money back into the business, is that mostly investing in creating more content? Yeah, precisely. Yeah, it's creating more content, um, filling out our team where we need to, um, improving the system. You know, I think th- this year, the, the money that we would have been making on the sort of profit, the majority of the money there in my mind is going towards building out the iOS curriculum. We hired a full-time iOS developer in January, and that's all he's doing. So I'm hoping that a few months from now we can have a really competitive, um, we can be a really comp- competitive place to learn, start learning how to build iPhone apps. Mm. So you, I, I was looking through the site, and you have a uh, an annual payment option, so you can sign up for monthly, or you can prepay for a year for a discount. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the? How many people do that? Is that popular? Um, I don't have any percentage numbers. Do you have any idea, Nate? Um, no, I don't have any percentage numbers. I know. By and large, the annual option was added mostly for teams because it turns out that like corporations aren't real happy doing month-to-month payments. Right. Yeah, it's easier for some people to do the yearly payments. But certainly we saw some people jump on there and do that. Um, it, it's still pretty low percentage. I would say probably maybe like 1 in 20. Mm-hmm. So, and so with the, uh, with the yearly, if you do agree to do a year, then you get a three-month discount on that. Right. Mm-hmm. Was that based on uh, like customer lifetime value calculation, or was that kind of like that sounds like a pretty good? Uh, it's a couple different count. factors. Um, the easiest, most logical way to look at it is if you do. We still have this incentive program where, for every course that you complete, you get uh, five dollars in Code School cash, which gets applied towards your next month. Uh, monthly membership. So, you know, the typical month is, uh, typical price is $25 a month. So if you're completing a course a month, you're really paying 20 bucks a month. Which um, is, I but, think that's really interesting because it's like, if you, if you pay for our service and you use us, it's you can pay less. Right. Like, yeah. which, which is a really yeah, strange it's an interesting concept. incentive structure. Right. Well, we, but no, but that's what makes sense. And that's right. actually what we need to do more of. What we're working on over the next few months is we're going to try to figure out how to incentivize people to do more content. Anything you can do to incentivize people to use the content is, is you know, going to be good. But um, back to what you were saying with the yearly thing. So if you do the calculation and you're only getting, you know, 20 bucks a month, right? Um, then 20 bucks a month times 12, you do all the math and it sort of, I think it equals itself out um, because if you're paying yearly, then you're not getting the monthly discount. Mm. So basically if you prepay for a year, you're getting all that discount up front. Gotcha. Interesting. I said that that incentivizing people to use the product is interesting because normally you kind of go from the different direction, which is we want people to not cancel. Therefore, how do we get them to use the product more so that they exactly. are they like it? But this is like how do we get? This is kind of the same idea, but it's an interesting take on it. It's like well, we let's incent them by making it cheaper if they actually do it. 
Yeah. And, and I'm sure that the people that don't use it are much more likely to cancel. So it's, it's in your best interest to have them using it actively. Yeah. And that's definitely something that we're going to be working on more. That's something that we haven't focused on as much as we could have. Um, like, uh, for example, a few months ago, we finally put out, uh, we call them code paths, right? So basically before that, we didn't have any way to lay out your pathway through all of the different courses. So if you want to learn Ruby, we can, and a Ruby path shows you go through this course, then this one over here, then this one over here, this one's last. And so you know your, your learning path. Um, and so we've got lots of things in the plans for incentivizing people to get through all of that content, to mm-hmm. complete all the Ruby path courses and become a ruby master so uh do you have any is is the the main focus for the future just sort of more courses are you trying any any new interactive elements or anything like that well we're always trying to push the edge of you know sort of my goal and what i'm really passionate about is figuring out the most effective way to teach any given technology right and i feel like we do that. I mean, it's, it's crazy to see that every course we create typically has an entirely new brand and then sometimes an entirely new interface. But that's all because we want to create the optimal learning experience. And we've taken it to a certain extent, but I feel like we certainly can do more mm-hmm. to keep it more engaging, make it even more like a game, incentivize people through it. Um, so I can't talk to anybody about anything specific right now, but there's certainly more that, that mm-hmm. we could do. Any interesting uh, lessons learned for getting more people on the platform, getting more customers? Like what, what worked well that you were like, wow, that's actually a great channel for this? Well, a um, couple different answers there. But um, probably the, the biggest channel that we have um, is sort of the, also the channel that I'm most proud of, which is creating sort of free content. I'm really happy that we've figured out a way, just like with open source software, to release content for free. And also make a business out of it. Mm. We put out so much content, uh, free content. I mean, basically, we've got three teams creating courses at any given time. You've got the web dev team, the iOS team, and the free course team, right? So we're putting out all this free content that I talked about earlier. And that not only serves to educate the community, um, but also serves to find people who enjoy learning the way that we teach. And Mm. hopefully they become subscribers. Yeah. So the best way that we found people is just through that. And I could probably say the same thing about like our consultancy. Even before we had code school, we got all of our clients because of all of the educational stuff that I would find time to do that I enjoyed doing sure. to give back to the community. This is very much a model that we follow as well. Like there's a reason we have a blog and all this open source and all these things. Like mm-hmm. it, it eventually does come back and sort of pay for itself. Right. But it's nice because it's beneficial to everybody along the way. Right. The other thing that's definitely... Uh, sometimes underrated is the uh, the effective use of a mailing list mm. can do lots of great things for any company and you know i i've started work uh, participating in more startup events and that's always the first piece of advice that i give to any startup it's mm. like okay have you started your mailing list mm. right that's that's where you start any company in my opinion you don't even have to have a product but you can have a web page with an email form that says hey are you interested in what we're trying to the problem we're trying to solve um, give us your email here and we'll keep you up to date. Um, and so, you know, we've built up our email list over the last few years and it's become a really valuable part of our whole sort of uh, marketing initiative. Mm, what kind of stuff are you sending there? 
Um, well, the, the most basic thing is, of course, monthly newsletter telling people about new content that we've been produced, mm-hmm. we've gotten produced. But then we'll also send out like uh, promotions. Mm-hmm. And the promotions, you know, such as we did a big promotion a few weeks ago for like, you know, um, discounting the T-shirts on the store mm-hmm. or, um, you know, $9 for your first month promotion that we do every once in a while um, and, or doing even cross promotions with other people. So you might, you know, we'll go to people that have also a big mailing list and said, hey, you know, we'll promote our stuff on our, uh, your stuff on our mailing list if you promote, you know, yeah, vice sure. versa. And that works out really well. Um hmm. Yeah, we, so we have a mailing list as well. And I think the conversion rates to, you know, hey, we have a new thing. Do you want to buy it? Are probably higher than almost any other exactly. way of announcing things. Yeah, I know pretty early on. So uh, with Code School, we kind of alert people or let them know what courses are coming out in the next couple of months, roughly. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's always, that's pretty much always been on the design. So at the bottom of the courses page, you'll see like coming soon, you know, X course, Y course, C course. Um, <laughs> and relatively early on, we realized that we were actually losing a lot of potential customers because they might come and they might see a course that they would like to take that's going to be out two months from now and they'll forget about it between mm-hmm. now and then. And so pretty early on, we added like this uh, notify me feature. Yep. So it's like, oh, you see that course, you know, it's whatever, Node.js, something. So oh, I, I really want to learn about that. Click here. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, we'll send you an email when it's going to come out. Yeah, like, beautiful. It was crazy. I totally remember like the first time we sent out a huge discount on our mailing list and we were like okay let's try let's do this you know nine dollars for your first month promotion sort of thing let's put it out on the mailing list let's see if it works it might not even been a subscription it might have been even before that um maybe with some bundle or something right and we put it out on the mailing list and this big discount blah 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 and we just could not believe how many purchases we got and we were like damn it spam works spam really works and you almost feel bad for doing it but you're like wow it's crazy that uh we were we were so amazed at how well it worked but um it's just advertising you shouldn't feel bad about advertising we kind of felt a little bit bad about it because we were like this is this is the sort of mail that we don't like getting most of the time yeah but it works that's a common developer reaction Right. It's like a little bit of shame at the self-promotion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like a shameful plug. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, you know. So we definitely felt kind of awkward, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what a good descriptor there is. But at the same time, like, you know, I, I know I do it myself. Like, I'll come across something that looks really interesting, and, you know, maybe it's not released yet, so I'll add myself to a list, and I'll completely forget about it because mm-hmm. I've got other things going on. And then, you know, three months later, I get an email. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, Yeah. I signed up for that for for a reason, right? So it's like, okay, let me go see what they have now. Yeah, I mean, it's an opt-in thing, right? Right. You're, so, you're asking for it. Yeah, I mean, personally, I don't think I've ever felt bad about it for ones that I actually opted into. <laughs> so you also run uh, Bar Camp in Orlando. Yeah, well, we do a lot of stuff in the local um, Orlando community, yeah. um, which is, you know, again, it's one of the things that I really enjoy, supporting the local community, and I think it definitely helps with... Uh, sort of uh, showing Envy La- the Envy Labs culture itself. So, yeah, not only do we run the Bar Camp, which is coming up on May 18th, um, but then, you know, we do the Ruby Users Group. We've got a Design Orlando group. We have occasionally run these Rails Bridge events mm. um, with, uh, yeah. Yeah, so that's been really good. I like the Bar Camp model with the, this idea that, you know, every, the hope is that everyone shows up and contributes in some way. Yeah, well, you know, the reason that I, uh, I initially put it together in Orlando is because I would go, when I first moved to Orlando, I would go to all the different tech groups, and none of them would ever 
cross-pollinate. They would never talk to each other. There'd be great talks, but they would never get to, other groups would never get to see them. Mm. And sort of, I sort of started the bar camp there, I think maybe five or six years ago now, um, with the intent of bringing together all of the creative technical people so they could all share and learn from each other. Mm. Um, and it's, it's been great. Every year we've had probably between, you know, 300 and 400 people right down in the middle of Orlando. It's a great free event and we get enough money for sponsors to do lunch and t-shirts. That's cool. Yeah, and, and the description says, you know, even, you know, we want everyone to do, like, run a session, pull a breakout group, like, you know, do a quick demo of something. Like, the idea is kind of everyone is supposed to try to contribute to the group what they know. Yeah, and I exactly. like that a lot. Mm-hmm. It's like we're at RailsConf now, and, like, there's some tiny fraction of the people are going to speak. Yeah. And most people are kind of just going to listen. But there's so much knowledge trapped in this convention center, right, that if, if you give a little more encouragement of let's spread this around. And there is some of that, which is great. Yeah. I wonder what happened to that. There was like a, a few years ago, conferences, when bar camp started getting popular, conferences would run the, like the unconference track, right, where anybody could walk into a room like we're in right now and mm-hmm. put down their name for a talk. And that was great because you just got a snippet of uh, everything. Totally. Yeah. And I think that's why so many people enjoy like lightning talks at conferences is because it's kind of this grab bag. Dude, like whatever people are passionate they're about. having the lightning talks in like the biggest room so you're gonna it's like it's gonna be like in front of a thousand people you're doing a lightning talk no pressure yeah right yeah that that room is is cavernous i'm actually i'm, I'm in that room on thursday morning i'm a little a little bummed about it it's like, how do you how do you get a feeling of like buzz and excitement in a room that is monstrous like that like there's an echo in that room yeah yeah tell me about it right and you got bright lights in your face you're not gonna be able to see anybody like 50 foot ceilings and I don't know. It's like presenting in a stadium. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I'm actually planning on trying to usher people into like the first handful of rows and yeah. change the feeling a little bit. Yeah, that's smart. That's smart. We'll see. I think that was a Jim Wyrick trick, wasn't it? <laughs> he would he would walk in at the start of the talk and like especially if it was a small room or whatever, he'd crush everybody into the first like two rows. Yeah, no, it, and then he it, would like stand in the middle of the rows and give his talk. No, that's nice. good. It works. Like it definitely. I mean, it, it's hard to have a talk in that room not feel sparsely attended. Right? right and sparsely attended talks feel bad. Mm-hmm. Right, it's like oh, no one's here. This, yeah. must, this is gonna be bad. <laughs> it's definitely not gonna be a conversation. Yeah, not that many people. There's nobody that's gonna make it a conversation. Yeah, maybe I'll like put up some like cloth walls, like block off part of it. Like everyone must be inside the curtain, or, or figure out a way to incentivize that, incentivize conversation. That's a good point. Yeah, I actually think I'm gonna recruit people to like usher almost and be like, oh, these r- rows are reserved for you not sitting here. You need to go to Voodoo <laughs> Donuts. And get a dozen donuts and just <laughs> hand them out to people who ask questions. Now you are talking. There you go. That's a really good idea. <laughs> I want to throw donuts to the back <laughs> row. That would be even better. Yes. From the stage. Maple bacon for you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, could, I could make it arrested. Uh, so are you, you seem to be sporadically involved in Ruby 5 these days? Like not always on, not always off? Is that we have true? a rotation. It's great okay. that we've got people... Um, well, it's interesting. We have the Envy uh, Labs rotation. So every Tuesday, we somebody at Envy Labs is doing the episode, um, but we've got other people that enjoy doing it, which is fantastic. So I'll jump on there, you know, when it's my turn to do the rotation. And then on Thursday, we've got people from around the community that do it. It's mm. been good. It seems like you have a um, or Friday. Sorry. There's this sort of a theme of uh, shared ownership at Envy Labs. Yeah, well, in many different regards. Yeah, that's what I mean, that's what I mean. like based on what we've talked about. This seems yes. to keep popping up. Literally and figuratively, I think. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah but that, that's another sort of business sort of thing. Um, I, I kind of follow the philosophy that um, anybody that works for you for longer than a year 
deserves to have equity in the company just for peace of mind. So anybody mm. who's worked at MB Labs for longer than a year has um, vested equity mm. in it. So they've cool. got, uh, yeah. And it really doesn't do much other than give you peace of mind that, you know, if there was, you know, in the future of the company. Hmm. And I mean, that circles back to the earlier conversation of like what you do for the whole helps you, right? So it's, yeah. mm-hmm. it's not only do you get something from profit sharing, but in theory, a higher profit also helps your ownership share. Sure. Um, and your long-term yes. investment. Just reinforces. Right. Mm-hmm. So Nate, are you mostly writing Ruby these days? Yeah, um, I'm primarily Ruby and Rails. Uh, we just came off a project that was Ember, uh, Rails, WebSocket, Telnet. Uh, <laughs> trying to think what else is involved with that. Yeah, I was just I was just showing give, you. Give a quick uh, overview. Oh, uh, sure. So the quick overview. Um, so we did a project for Cisco Systems. They came um, to us and said, "We love Code School. Can we do something like that for you know Cisco?" developers Mm. so specifically it was for learning at cisco which is a division within cisco um and it was really interesting you know their their goal is uh training network tech training network technicians or network engineers um so they've got different certification tiers um there's a certain amount of knowledge you have to have there's a certain amount of technical ability you have to have um and to this point you know they had five and six different ways of kind of getting that knowledge imparted to new individuals you know it was in classroom training or uh learning laboratories or you know x y and z they they've got a bunch of them so the idea here was you know just like what you see in code school where we have the training material and the exercises in that one place they wanted the same thing uh-huh. you know, said okay how how do we train a new network engineer from from zero you so know, the, teach them what TCP is, teach them what routing is, teach them what uh, EIGRP is, teach them how to put devices together, teach them what the ports look like, teach them what commands they can run on Cisco iOS and configure them. And so, you know, a, a big goal of this project was getting like a VPN connection out of there that used to be a requirement for their training. So, you know, now through a web browser, not only do you get to read and watch videos and answer questions, but we also have... Uh, vector-based topologies so you can see these network topologies and then oh you could click on one and actually you're on a terminal for that device that is unique to you it's a virtual network device and you can reconfigure it however you want you can ping from it you can take it offline you can reinitialize i mean whatever you want to do so it's it's interesting yeah that's awesome and then the telnet comes into like telneting into the switch or something yeah by default uh, cisco router and switch uh have a telnet uh, interface activated so uh that was actually why they had used to have a have to have a vpn so you would have to VPN into a basically closed network, and then mm-hmm. you had access to, to your set of devices. So now we built this like WebSocket to Telnet bridge. So from your browser, you connect to our WebSocket server. Our WebSocket server, in turn, initializes a set of devices for you. We send back forward identifiers for each of those devices. And then on the front end, we present it as you know, six different Telnet sessions. And you type, you know, literally byte by byte as you type, it's real time, transmitted to the WebSocket server and in turn to the Telnet server and, and it comes back. So, you know, as you're typing, you could hit tab and it'll autocomplete or you can hit up and down or control P or control caret or whatever and it does all the correct. Are those real devices on the back or virtual devices? Uh, they are virtualized devices. Uh, so it's uh, Cisco iOS is their um, operating system that yeah. they use. Um, they've got a proprietary uh, and very tightly controlled uh virtualization of it that i think they only use for training really um it's interesting i mean the whole the whole architecture is really interesting Hmm. very cool well i think that's all i had for you guys um but thanks for stopping by it was nice talking to you both yeah great talking to you thanks for having us absolutely thank you very much um so if people wanted to check out uh code school you have a url for that (laughs) codeschool.com 
Shocking. Shocking. Yeah. Never would have found that on Google otherwise. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so if you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash podcast slash 49. Today's podcast w- was recorded and produced by Chad Pytel and edited by Edward Lovell. Thanks for listening.